first time ever. Hear you loud and clearly. Um, and it was going place. That stuff's great. But the game is not a roguelike. Boomer shooter. <laughs> Bang. Hello, this is John St. John, and you're listening to KWEP In The Keep, bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the drowned god Cathala lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town. Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Christus rides again. Christus returns. Welcome back to In the Heat. How are you? Thank you. I'm, I'm quite well, actually. I've uh, had a half a bottle of whiskey this evening, so I am a bit more tipsy than I'm usually at around this time, depending on situations, of course. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to perk myself up with a cup of coffee right now. Okay, so tell me again about this this habanero okay. vodka. So. I guess uh, the top li- top story of tonight is that this summer I made a jalapeno vodka, and uh, that was such a smashing success that I drank it all in an evening, basically. Uh, and then I figured, hmm, if uh, strong is good, why not make it stronger? So I took habanero vodka and made that, and that has been uh, standing on my uh, coffee table for the last six months. Um, and the red jalapenos have turned yellow. I don't, I don't think they've turned bad. I just think they've been bleached by the alcohol. So, yeah, they're, so they're floating in the vodka, right? Yeah. So there's okay. two jalapenos in this. Uh, let's see. It's uh, 35 milliliters. I'm not sure how that it pronounced to ounces, but uh, it's uh, like half a bottle of whiskey or half a bottle, you know? Like a 750 milliliter bottle? Yeah. So that's half half that. See, Uh, you have the benefit because it's like almost insulting when I talk to you guys, all you European fucks, or basically anyone that's not American. They assume I don't know the metric system. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I work I, in the science field. I, yeah. I understand it. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I realize that now after I said it, that no, you're, you're an educated man. <laughs> so, so you know that like I grow peppers, right? Like It's kind of one of my biggest hobbies, and I, I, think, I like I I, habaneros. Hmm. Go ahead. I think I heard something about that, right? I'm not sure though, but well, the main thing is that on Twitter, like 90% of what I talk about is just mm. me and Rotten Rose going back and forth about gardening shit, which is like this. That's why I had to separate me from in the keep. I'm like, mm. I can't be tweeting about my fucking gardenias on the in the keep accounts. I didn't. So know I made that. a separate profile. No, I have to follow. Have I have I missed following you then? 
I, I, I don't know. know. It's at Ty Brennan. My current name is the Marmalude, yeah. which yeah. Will, Ty... doesn't make any sense. The Marmalude. Yeah. Yeah, I'm following you. you. Why have I yeah. missed this then? Probably because I'm a terrible Twitter user. I mean, uh, there's no such thing as a good Twitter user. Well, either you use it too much and uh, you're doing it wrong that way. <laughs> um, I guess it depends on what your goals are. If your goal hmm. on Twitter is to just toast whatever you want, and not you're not caring about how many people follow you or whatever, then cool. That's what that profile yeah. is for. I, I, have, like, I have to be honest. Had it not been for uh, Doombringer or stuff like that, I would not have a Twitter account at all. Oh, if it but, weren't for In The Keep, I would not have a Twitter account, yeah. period. No yeah. no way. Um, but uh, but I've you, got to have a public presence yeah. of some kind, and it won't be on yeah. Facebook. So I do enjoy uh, liking uh, Rotten Rose uh, and Jahar's mm. tweets. That is true. So anyway, circle all the way back around. What I was getting at is that habaneros, while they're delicious in certain ways like any any pepper at all there's mm. a line between flavor and spice that a lot of people don't seem to understand right like so a habanero yeah. is much much spicier than a you know a jalapeno or something like mm. that and it has a distinct flavor it's not quite in the realm of like why do people eat this crap to me like ghost peppers and like carolina reaper i have no fucking idea scotch bonnets even mm. why do people eat this crap it doesn't taste good it's just horrible. Well, there is a you know Heatonist? The ones yes. that make the sauces for uh, Now We Feast? Uh, mm-hmm. I had a ghost pepper sauce from them, and I, I really loved it. It was so good. And but it was, was basically, it just ghost peppers, or was it like mixed with tomato or something to counterbalance No, it was mostly... I, I, I can't say... Truly now, I probably should go get the bottle and read the ingredients, but I'm not sure if that's... But <clears throat> it was... I don't think it was as spicy as ghost pepper, though, you know? I'm sure but, it's like, it's got some other, like, it's got some vinegar, obviously, if it's a mm, hot sauce. It's got yeah. some salt. It's maybe some kind of... Yeah. Like, habanero, you usually counterbalance it with something. Like, so mm. habanero ketchup is really good. Habanero... Yeah. Uh, <sighs> mango habanero sauce like i don't know if you guys have that there but we put it on pizza in the southwest mm-hmm. like it's like but just to no, eat a we, straight habanero is terrible yeah hot sauce in sweden is uh not something that's pretty fairly common you know yeah uh we pretty much import anything from uh usa if we do there are some like, companies of course but they're not comparable to what you have in the USA. I'm not really. too far from Hatch, New Mexico, which is like the home of the chili pepper, you know, Hatch chilies mm-hmm. are world famous. And I don't know. We're supposed to be talking about video games. We started off talking about vodka and hot peppers, but yeah, I guess that's well, okay. Hopefully someone found it enjoyable. Uh, I did. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure our listeners will be okay. So I'll if, have Brandy if, timestamp it out. Just like, yeah. just skip to this point. The re- anyway, the reason I brought out this vodka was because I finished this vo- uh, whiskey. It was a mm-hmm. Highland Park whiskey. Now we come into uh, promotional here. Highland Park, send me your money because 
I mean, this is a commercial. <laughs> uh, Nothing would make me happier than to have an alcohol sponsor for yeah. the podcast. Like, so I, would, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even I, have them pay me. I'd just be like, send me yeah. free booze, man. Well, I, I, I wouldn't deny that. <laughs> that. That would be an offer I couldn't refuse. Uh, but I finished that one before we even started streaming uh, or recording. I mean, so then I remembered I have this uh, vodka when you talked about bringing out your vodka so i thought okay if nothing else i have my vodka here so if someone hears me saying something like (laughs) that is why what makes makes swedish vodka different than a, a regular like a russian style vodka or something else well it's pretty shit that i think that's the biggest difference uh the vodka I've tried, I, I, I can't say I found, I've found a good vodka. At, uh, so in Sweden, we have this uh, monopoly for alcohol, so people don't mm-hmm. buy too much alcohol because back in the day, we drank like uh, the average Swede uh, drank like half a bottle of uh, vodka every week or something like that. Oh no, God! Ugh. How yeah. could you possibly do that? Uh, yeah, I would never dream of <laughs> drinking that. <laughs> well, remember that most Swedes probably didn't drink that much, and then there were a lot, a few Swedes that drank a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like so. If the average is half a bottle, most people don't drink more than a yeah. few glasses yeah. like a month mm. then the other people are drinking like three or four handles a day. something <laughs> like that out. yeah <laughs> so something like 10 percent of the population were drunks exactly um, so how yeah, was the it's a free country right it is we are uh, uh the the alcohol monopoly is probably the biggest uh, contender for uh, something like that but uh, I forgot what I was going with this, but uh, something, something. Uh, yeah, I completely forgot what I was going with talking about this. Uh, well, you were I, telling me the difference between Swedish vodka and, and Russian style vodka. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's something about it feels like uh, I, don't, I don't like Swedish vodka. I can say that much. Uh, okay. uh, but uh, the, the Swedish the vodka found on uh, the Swedish uh, Systembolaget uh, System Bola uh, System Company, I think would be a translation word. It's hard. I haven't found any vodka that I truly like. Like people generally say, who know vodka say Smirnoff is a bad vodka. Um, it's yeah, it's kind of like one of the cheaper brands. It's not yeah. like aristocrat, but it's you know mm. Sky. Th- those are like the bottom shelf kind of drinks. Yeah, and that is one of the better vodkas I've had mm. myself. Which is, but in the meantime, we have a lot of really good whiskey on the shelves. So yeah. I think it's just based on what people drink as well. I guess I don't know. I mean, I think. Generally speaking, whiskey-wise, uh, the American South, like the Appalachian region, like Kentucky, are they're they're probably the best. And then also, obviously, people like Scotch a lot. So 
Mm. Cheers to the Scots. But I don't know. I, I like vodka because I'm a fucking fat boy. <laughs> and so You're not I have fat. to count. No, I'm, I'm really not. But I'm uh, look, man, I, I hold myself to a high standard for physical training. Mm. And so like I can't drink whiskey and maintain the body that I feel belongs on me. Right. So mm. if I drink a bunch of or even beer, like I'm kind of like famously a beer guy, but like mm. I just decided at some point, like, okay, look, I need to taper off of the Hang on now, Ty. We we spoke on Discord. I know you're a lager guy. I'm not a beer guy. You're the lager guy. <laughs> so you don't consider lager beer? Because I think most people consider lager beer, and then ale is considered well, like its own thing, right? Like that's it. Okay. I understand that to me they're both technically beer, but yeah. like ale, ale is ale. And you should yeah. know this because you're fucking Scandinavian. But I, but I wouldn't say I'm a beer guy then I would say I'm an ale guy. You know? But I'm not an ale guy. I, I drink no, beer. you'd say you're a lager guy. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Right? I, if I'm drinking beer, I prefer lager. Does that mean yeah. I won't drink an ale? Depends on the ale. Depends on the lager, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's also true. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I like, I like vodka because it's delicious. It mixes mm-hmm. well with pretty much everything. It's low calorie. It's yeah. got, no, you know, whatever. Uh, so I, I can want, I can drink you know, a shitload of vodka, wake up the mm, next day and run five miles and not feel bad about myself. I've had Russian vodka where I basically ah, sorry, uh, came, came in a little bit of Swedish there. Uh, I uh, <laughs> I've, I drank vodka where I basically just down the bottle like it is mm-hmm. uh, on an evening, no problem. And then I drank vodka that tastes like a potato. So yeah, I've always been bewildered that the Russians figured out how to make alcohol out of potatoes before the irish did mm. well like uh, i guess the irish it made my ancestors it, it's crazy though but because we're, we're like irish people are famously <laughs> potato people like we had after they brought potatoes back from america they did everything except make vodka i'm like how did that get past him i guess they were already too drunk on whiskey to like figure it out but i guess it was yeah. kind of the same time because corn also came from america I guess uh, Irish whiskey Irish whiskey is the potato whiskey of uh, I don't know if they I don't think they made it from potato of course because they made it from rye but uh, it's sort of like vodka because it des- doesn't taste anything. Um, Irish whiskey, I don't know, it's there is really <laughs> good Irish whiskey out there, but yeah. so f- the the story, the historical, you're a history teacher, right? No, I'm. I'm a math and Swedish teacher. If you talk oh. school, if you talk, oh. uh, my, uh, it's complicated. Uh, but I, I work more after school work, which mm, okay. involves basically anything that the students are more interested in. So, if they are interested in making movies, we're making movies. Uh, if wow, they're interested, like in- you guys have such a fantastic educational system that I missed out on. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. That uh, sounds really really fun. Yeah, I, I'm quite happy with my work. That is, I wouldn't want to change it for any other profession. Really, of course, you come home and you're completely exhausted uh, every time. I like teaching, man. I, I mean, teaching meteorology to my students mm. has been one of the more rewarding things. I mean, I still work with them actively, you know, like we're mm. doing the work, but my job is to educate them on how to do their job. So it's not like a, 
very rarely every once in a while I'll have like a classroom kind of setting, but at, yeah. usually I'm like on the job training people. Mm-hmm. But anyway, back to my story. Yes. The deal with Irish whiskey is mm-hmm. that during prohibition in the United States, people were literally, you know, like making alcohol in their bathtubs and shit. Like mm-hmm. it, there was no mass production alcohol. So the Irish whiskey that was being produced during that time was garbage. Mm-hmm. And th- and it became like known amongst people that like Irish whiskey sucks, so it lost its popularity completely. And then after prohibition that that s- stigma s- uh, stayed there. However, there are good Irish whiskeys like yeah. for sure still. Uh and uh, to clarify, I wasn't really I was just being a bit trollish there because uh, I think uh, Irish whiskey has definitely has its place and it was through Irish whiskey I came to appreciate whiskey in general, really. So, uh, oh. Hats off to Irish whiskey. I always go a long time without drinking whiskey because I'm afraid I'm just going to like turn into a fucking freak nasty monster or something when I drink it. But <laughs> every time I drink it, I feel it's like in my blood. Mm. It's like I can feel the Irish genes yeah. activating in my body and they're just like, they react to it. It's like, this is the greatest thing in the world, which is what keeps me afraid of it. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not supposed to feel that way. I'm supposed to just like enjoy it and then move on with my life. Yeah, I'm a bit the same, really. I I, I am wary to buy the whiskey home because Mm. I know how fast it gets uh, consumed once I have it in my vicinity. (laughs) It's so easy to just take a bit of whiskey every day after work or something like that. Yeah, you got all good things in moderation, including yeah. moderation. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, anyway. we're to talk about again video games. Uh, mm. So when yeah. when the last time we talked, uh, Doombringer was mostly like a multiplayer arena FPS game, and since then, you've put a lot more effort into the single player experience, and that seems to be kind of the flagship product at this point. Uh, Can you tell us kind of a little bit of how that came to be and what your journey's been so far? Yes, uh, I would like to. Yeah, sorry, I would like to add a a small correct addition to that. As also that uh, when we last played, we had a bit of a technical issue with uh, the multiplayer, uh, and I figured that out shortly after. uh, So we didn't have the crashes, (laughs) Uh, but. Right before Christmas, also, we added uh, some much-needed improvements to multiplayer as well. So we now have uh, some proper client prediction and uh, lag compensation going on. So the right. experience is a lot better there as well. So, But single-player most, most uh, definitely is the flagship experience. It has always been the end goal for Doombringer. Uh, even though we started with multiplayer because we had, well, I had an idea for making a multi a single player game from a multiplayer experience. Now that has changed. Not not the idea hasn't changed, but uh, it has had a few interesting consequences. Like some things have changed for the single player aspect, but we kept them separate from the multiplayer. So there are a few differences between the two modes in how uh, 
like the rocket launcher is more powerful in single play than it is in multiplayer. Uh, As it should be. Yeah. And uh, you don't have fall damage in single play while you do have in do have it in multiplayer. And in multiplayer, it's mostly because it's so funny when someone gets a cratered. Because, I mean, you get the decal where it says, you, where it shows how you face planted into the ground and <laughs> you can laugh at that. Uh, but uh, yeah, so a lot have happened since, uh, I mean, it's slight, a little bit over a year since we talked and Back then we had like three maps, and now we're closing in on finishing the first episode, which would be nine maps, including the secret level. Uh, we only really have one map left to quote-unquote complete before we send it out to testing and uh, get a few comments from people saying, but we need to adjust to make it more approachable for everyone. So is the plan to put it in early access or to yeah. just play? Okay. We uh, struggled with that uh, decision for the longest time because first we wanted to make it, give it away from free because we didn't think people would buy it if uh, because it was such a neat niche product. Don't ever say that to me again. <laughs> uh, but then we got, were convinced that people would probably still give it a go if, as long as we don't charge uh, an exorbitant fee for it. Uh, and it will also help with making sure, so if people buy this version and we just put out the new uh, episodes, like on top of that, uh, then uh, we wouldn't make a shift between people who has that episode and that. So we wouldn't uh, shield off future content from uh, people making maps or playing the multiplayer version or anything like that, you know. Dude, you're, you're upsetting me. Don't ever say that people wouldn't pay for it. They definitely would. You have, you're providing them right out the bat with an episode of like what, nine levels and... To be fair, because some people may be like nine levels. Nine, these are not like short levels. These are like really good sprawling <clears throat> levels with lots of exploration and everything in them. And you're giving them an arena FPS game within that. Mm-hmm. And you, if you sell this thing out the out the gate in early access, if you sell it for less than fifteen dollars, I'm gonna fly to fucking Sweden and slap you in the mouth. You're okay. crazy. <laughs> I don't know that I could actually I couldn't actually get into the country right now because of no, the fucking pandemic. But, too much COVID. Uh, uh, <laughs> but I no, don't don't ever say that shit to me again. Mm. Like your 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 work is worth money and the work that you and everyone else who's contributed to this product is not free. Get that out of your head right now. Your math teacher apparently don't fucking <laughs> tell me that you don't understand how this works. Oh, I understand how math works. I just don't understand how people work, always. <laughs> <laughs> That's very common with math people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> now that we're back on video game topics, uh, Doombringer itself, like, what are your current di- what is your what is currently holding you back from publishing it what are the things that you would um, like to improve before you put it out to the, the okay yeah so 
Reke, who is uh, the guy who made uh, the client prediction stuff, uh, yeah. he is doing some polishing on uh, a few things. But uh, the real th- real things that we are still waiting to get complete is the sound effects and the music. Uh, and I also have to finish the final level of the episode, the boss level. Mm-hmm. Now, since we weren't ready, we talked about it and then we said either we postpone it a month or we postpone it two months and uh, then we probably won't have to postpone it another month once we fail that target. Uh, and that is my sincere hope that that won't happen. But uh, the good part of that, of course, is that whenever, uh, should we have to post one again, which I doubt, there's like no reason why we shouldn't be able to make it in two months. At least I will have more time to do a lot of other polishing stuff. Like there's always more things you can do to improve some minor things. Uh, but uh, yeah, like the first episode will be inspired by uh, the Doom episode one, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like uh, it will be a primer for what will come, but uh, what will come will be a lot more uh, esoteric, you could say. Yes. Uh, so this is more like. Uh, um, more grounded, and then we'll go into exploring more extravagant themes and uh, ideas for level design. Yeah, speaking of the first episode, just in its entirety, I can't wait for Sivi to play it on his YouTube channel so that he can be angry that nearly every single level of the first episode is, in fact, a gigantic sewer. Yeah, in a way it is, yeah. (laughs) I mean, even like the levels that aren't right, sewer levels still have sewers in them, kind of. It's like there's always some sort of waterway going. Yeah, I mean, uh, technically, I mean, every map in the, not more or less, uh, except the secret level and Mm -hmm. uh, technically the first level are submerged underground. So mm-hmm. I guess it's just another level of sewer. <laughs> but I've, I've been very con- conscientious about making them ver- as interesting as possible without going for the, for the gimmicks like tricks and traps and stuff like that because I wanted to make a, a real solid... Uh, first uh, establishing the world where the enemy lives in yeah uh, and uh, that really doesn't truly come into its own until level the penultimate level because then you get into their habitat but whereas the other ones are just levels above that you know uh, in this machine city uh, and actually play a little bit. Oh, there we go. There's a there's a beer pop. Uh, and I play a little bit with uh, this sewer idea. Uh, 
in E1M6 with the in introduction, we have a an L shape, which is just a straight up sewer area, which you then leave. But technically, the entire map is uh, an extravagant sewer, you could say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that e- E1M7, just from what I've, like, I literally, like, just before we started this, played through mm. everything that you have so far, just kind of, like, refresh my memory and also get caught up. And you said that you were, like, particularly proud of that level. I I can really feel your uh, your Doom, your, your doom uh, repertoire come out in that level, as a matter of fact. So I was kind of hoping you would elaborate a bit on why that level is special to you. Um. Yeah, so <clears throat> that's a good question. I mean, uh, like, so a lot of the visual design, so it's a lot of different parts, you know. Uh, the visual design uh, of Doombringer, I've taken inspiration from Doom with verse, with uh, how colors work, how textures work, and how level design work, you know. Oh, mm-hmm. now I messed them up. Uh, but no, yeah, how level design work as well. Uh, and then we have the gameplay part, which has a lot more uh, influences, I'd say. You know, like it has Quake, uh, it has Doom, it has Quake 3, and a, a bit of Dark Souls. And I say that with a bit of hesitation because... That has become a bit of a meme, of course. The Dark Souls of whatever. But yeah. uh, the way the enemies work is that they... Even if you drop your guard, even the simplest enemy can kill you. You know? Mm-hmm. Like in Dark Souls and those games. But uh, they really shouldn't be a challenge if you know how to approach them. You know? And E1M7 is... Like, uh, whereas the other maps are more, okay, now we're bringing up the level. Now now we're introducing this. Now we're introducing that. E1M7 is more like, okay, now we've introduced all these things. Now let's see what you can do as a player to deal with them. Uh, it's the penultimate map of the episode. It's definitely the hardest map. Uh, maybe the boss map might be a bit more difficult, but it's not, won't be as much of a. Uh, it won't be as much of a test of your uh, um, consistency, you know, because yeah. it's not as long as a map. So, <clears throat> uh, so it introduces. It doesn't introduce anything new, really. It just takes all these things and lift them up to a level where uh, you have to be a, uh, uh, it, it's a it's the longest map it's the hardest map it brings all these things uh, into the pot and oh god damn it I can't find a word uh, and uh, basically it feels the most doom inspire it feels like the most doom map of all of them yes 
That's the, even down to the point where like, the very first room is just a bunch of doors and then you kind of like slowly release enemies upon yourself as you go through it. Whereas a lot of the earlier levels are kind of quake like where it's, a, mm-hmm. you know, you, next encounter, next encounter. Uh, but the, that particular map, E1M7, it feels as though each time that you make progress, you are then making the choice to release more enemies to attack you. Yeah. If that makes sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, and it also has the biggest fights of all of them as well, which for sure. Uh, and when the monster, when one monster can kill you in a second, you know, or rather a couple of seconds, if you don't watch out, that can become quite the challenge. Uh, um, but, uh, so far I've had really good, uh, feedback from how, from the difficulty of it. I, I have had feedback that the hard map, hard levels should be harder b- earlier, but at the same time, I kind of feel like it's such a good level, but maybe a little bit harder in the earlier maps because, mm. We can uh, people don't play the hard level to just uh, chill out, uh, chill out and have fun. So there's no reason to not crank it up a bit earlier, maybe. Um, normal, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, easy needs to be easier because uh, there's no reason to be gatekeeping on a on the easy level, you know. And uh, normal might uh, would be good to relax a bit so you can have some fun without being too challenged or being just the right amount challenged. Uh, yeah, it's a it's it's a tightrope to go to walk, you know. And uh, I'm uh, waffling. <laughs> I tell I, mean, I tell everyone who will listen to me honestly that any probably anybody who's a content creator or, or even if you're just a, a playtester, right? You should always start on normal because normal should be the mode that most people gravitate towards, and mm-hmm. it should feel like not. It should be challenging to someone who is not an expert FPS player. Period. Right? Like mm-hmm. we, we've seen this. We have dozens of examples, so there's really no excuse not to do it right so uh half-life was pretty imbalanced i think in terms of the difficulty levels like the if you're playing half-life on hard there's no like pain states in half-life so essentially Mm -hmm. what happens to make it hard is that you just have to shoot the enemy more that's Mm -hmm. the only real difference between normal and hard so there's not a lot of incentive to play on hard unless you're just a masochist yeah and in the in Quake, you know, famously, the default difficulty is hard. Like most people who are really into Quake, just straight up play on hard. They never yeah, really try the normal or the or the easy mode because it's that's the same in Doom as well. Really, people mm-hmm. go into ultra violence as that is the default, and then they complain about it being too hard and mm-hmm. just ignore the. And that is, of course, a problem for them. Uh, but I also know that uh, most level designers they tend to test for hard 
So they test something that they can manage, you know? Yeah. Okay, I can just about get through this. So it's not too hard to get through. And then they pull that back for... Because it's so hard to know what is normal when it's your own map. Like you said earlier when we were discussing on PMs. Uh, I know everything that is going to happen, probably. Uh, I can at least uh, predict it, more or less. Uh, because I know where every item in is and stuff like that. So, so the, for for a level designer, it's always easier to make the hard levels first and then pull back from that and then show it to others and see how they react to it. You know. Um, yeah, I mean, I very much feel like what you're saying is correct. That the the issue is with the game designer themselves QA testing their own game is that you know everything like you there's no one who knows this game more intimately than you do so yeah. you should ideally be pretty damn good at it and so then your idea of what is and what is not difficult will inevitably be skewed that that's what the value of having QA testers is really mm-hmm. yeah so I'm currently in the hunt for any opinion that someone will share with me. Uh, We've had a lot of uh, uh, speedrunners test it, uh, and uh, they seem to love it. So that's pos- that's positive. Um, but uh, And they always play on seeing easy, of course. Well, not always, but for just uh, any percent, easy it's of the obvious uh, choice because mm. for the most part anyway so uh, because then you can uh, don't have to worry about a gajillion monsters shooting you uh, but uh, yeah so it's it's always a tightrope to walk because you never know what someone else will find easy or what uh, they fly, find hard I remember about 10 years ago, I released a heretic episode and I thought I had tested it, but I hadn't tested it like with a lot, a bright wide span of people. So I admit I had missed out on maybe getting it tested with uh, people of what you could call lower skill or more casual players. And, um, I was uh, surprised to see that people would uh, think the easy skill level was hard, was was difficult, because I could basically play through in my sleep, you know. Yeah. Uh, I always had a lo- plenty of health and stuff. But that was me, of course. So it was uh, something to consider, you know trying to get as my, my many people to play test as possible, especially when you're not just giving away from free, because if I give it away from free, it doesn't matter if five people play it or if 100 people play it. doesn't doesn't make a difference to me as a co- content creator, because then you just make it for your own benefit, really. I think uh, the the FPS community could learn a lot about difficulty scaling from kind of the RPG community. Like if you, 
you look at let's just take the Witcher three for example, right? The the names of the difficulty scales are like, you know, just the story, and then it's like story and sword, and then it's like blood and broken bones, and then it's just like you know total fucking mayhem or whatever it's called. Uh, I think Bi- Bioshock, while it's still technically a first person shooter, has like a similar kind of thing going on where they lay out for you like with this difficulty setting, you're getting this much, you know, and before you ever make the decision to pick one. Whereas, you know, we in FPS community, mm-hmm. it's all kind of based on Doom and Quake. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's like this idea that it's just we, we put crazy ass names on it and we don't give you any like idea. It's a, it, it should be assumed by you as the player that that is a bit of gatekeeping there. Um and I also yeah. feel like it there's a culture within like the Doom community is like if you're not playing on ultraviolet, you're a little bitch. And like, man, I don't think so. Like, I think we should encourage anyone who wants to play to play or else you're cutting off a major part of your potential uh, audience for buying it. So it's weird. Bridgeburner has been very good at it, even though he makes literally slaughter maps. So. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, uh, like I said before, before, like the default uh, option for people are ultra violence and then, they complain about it being too difficult. They I mean, feel. Doom Eternal set that fucking straight, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, like, you're saying normal is the default, but sometimes I think easy should be the starting point. And if you think, okay, this is too easy, I should chalk it up a notch, you know? Uh, normal should be for people who have experience in FPS games. Easy for should be for people who do not have experience. Yeah, but what is an FPS game though? Like, uh, if your FPS game is uh, Call of Duty or CS or something like that, that, you probably have a decent aim or something, but you don't know how to move. You know, Uh, your your game is unique in that it takes the advanced movement into account because most people are used to like just the. A, a version of moving that exists mm. in real life, right? Like something that's based on how we yeah. move in real life. Whereas Doombringer <coughs> is, uh, you move without oversimplifying it very, very similarly to the way that you move in uh, Quake Live and Quake 3. So. Yeah. And, and uh, I mean, like, like um, so, so you can say, okay, you're used to FPS game, but are used to this kind of FPS game, you know? So it's a complication there as well. And if you're used to Doom, then you might be more used to this. But if you, mm-hmm. uh, or if you're used to Quake Live, like you said, then you might be more uh, like Reiki, who is uh, coming from playing Reflex and those games. He, he doesn't have a problem with it, but uh, it's so many, like FPS genres, a very wide one it's not like uh it's like saying third person genre and then you have rpg games you have uh you know so uh that's why i guess that's why we have afps as a yeah sub genre or something like that but even that's what i'm saying is that mm. when the player is selecting the difficulty the difficulty should not be some esoteric sounding bullshit. It should just say what they should expect. Right. Let's say Bioshock, right? Bioshocks. I actually found it. It's easy hyphen. You're new to shooters, Hmm. medium. You've played other shooters hard. 
you played a lot of shooters, and that's disabled until you beat it on medium. Like you can't even touch it. But until even then, can, yeah. But even then, you're immortal in Bioshock. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You uh, just respawn. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's uh, and there's a lot of things like that that taken con- into consideration as well, like with menu, uh, like what Tim. Uh, who is the namesake of Tim Conlan? He mentioned that he would like to see, like in Half Life, you have this. You check. Uh, you got a progression bar. How far you come through the game, and you can click mm-hmm. on the image to play that section or start playing from that section. You know. Yeah. And he asked for that, and those are things is I would it, like to add as well. You know, Steam already kind of does that for you, doesn't it? I guess it's based on achievements, not on progress necessarily. Um, I like Steam is very has very little to do with the integration. Or rather, there is very little in Steam integration into the game. Like with uh, what's it called, uh, Wrath. Since we're using right. a GPL engine, we can't just slop uh, plot uh, Steam integration in there because uh, yeah. conflicting uh, licenses. Um, no, it's the same thing with GZ Doom. Yeah. Uh, so, but uh, I could make a system like that. But the problem is, I have made a system that allows you to easily set up your own map set if you were to make one. Mm-hmm. So it shows up in the menu with a little bit of a backstory or something like that. So we have to expand that to because we can't just hard code in those uh, the level progression and stuff. Then we have to make something more modifiable, you know, that is uh, set up through external files. So are you, are you making Doombringer maps in like Trench Broom? No. Uh, okay. Because Trench Broom doesn't really support Quake Three Map BSP. Okay. Uh, so Scarecrow, who made E One M One, or rather blocked out E One M One and E One M Five, he made in Trench Broom, but uh, I'm making it in uh, a version of NetRadiant that's called Garrux NetRadiant yeah. uh, or Custom NetRadiant which is uh, similar to Trench Broom. It has a lot of the s- same uh, functionalities, but uh, it's There's specific. better for Quake 3 and Quake yeah. 5, yeah. So ideally, though, like when you release this game, people will be able to bust out NetRadiant and make their own custom maps for Doom Ringer. Yeah. Okay. That is That's my, my uh, peak hope. Is that uh, to, is to have a uh, map uh, community, map making community, which uh, makes single player or multiplayer maps and play cooperative games together and stuff like that. So yeah. uh, it would be the the dream, you know, to have something. Of course. Just- I mean, you you come from the Doom and Quake kind of communities like you, you should understand the importance of that's what makes longevity in a game right the community interaction yeah it's uh, something uh, but it's a it's a pipe dream of course i mean I'm, i've seen like uh, you i don't know if you remember the game made by carnival 
Why? Wait, you had Carnival on your uh, yeah that, rack. Uh, Car- Carnival's been on the show at least yeah. at least two times. Yeah, I did watch those uh, <laughs> streams uh, or listen to those podcasts actually. Uh, so it took me a second to remember that you actually had that. Uh, yeah, so he had the level editor, but uh, and there were a few maps there. I played uh, a few of them, and but his idea for making uh, the level editor it was just—I don't think it was friendly enough, user friendly enough uh, to for people to really get into. Uh, and I can't say. Uh, that radiant might not be friendly enough either. You know, it's more friendly, but uh, it's, it's not wild, doom. Wild it's it's not doom. Trench broom. Like, yeah. People like or, trench broom. People know yeah. trench broom. Um, trench broom and doom friendly. You know, uh, doom yeah. builder friendly. That's uh, where any anyone can make a map, and it will be something. But you can make maps in Trench Broom. I just wouldn't recommend uh, finishing them in Trench Broom. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, you know, Scarecrow, like what they're doing with Graven, I think is absolutely fucking fantastic. Where you, they're, they're making the maps in Trench Broom and then, you know, with, with no textures or anything and then finishing them in uh, uh-huh. Unreal 4. And that's Chris Holden's baby. And it, it's very, very cool and impressive. I'm stoked about it, actually. Just the fact that. You know, you can take guys like I know, Dump Truck, JCR, uh, Chris himself, you know, Scarecrow. Mm. Like they're able to take the skills that they've developed over years of Quake and Doom mapping in Trench Broom and use that to make an Unreal 4 game. That's revolutionary. Like that's never happened before as far as I know. Yeah. Uh, but it, it opens up so much talent while still being able to have like really cool features that you could only have in Unreal 4. Yeah, I'm excited for playing Graven once it's uh, released. Uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I enjoyed the demo. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't save in it. So once I turned shut it down, <laughs> uh, I realized I had to start over from the beginning. And uh, I had the same problem. I was like, nope, not gonna do that because I'm gonna start hating this beginning if I if I keep doing that. <laughs> I mean, it's not a terribly long demo. If you got, you know, 30 minutes or so, you can pretty much knock it out. Yeah. I ran into a problem with the menu where, because I, when I always have to reset my controls because I never used the default, I don't use the WASD and uh, I don't use uh, mouse click for shooting, et cetera. So I go back and forth between the menu when I start a new game to set the controls to what I want. And then the menu started to mess up for me. Uh, And have this long, it just froze the game for like a minute at a time or something. Yeah. There are some optimization issues that I hope will be ironed out over time. I'm sure that, I mean, so I ended up having to, yeah. Yeah. So I ended up having to restart it or closing it down and, then I was, but I, ha- I had come pretty far in the demo. I was pretty much close to the end, so it wasn't like I missed out on anything. I had lit, lit the lighthouse and everything, so yeah, yeah. And so as what's a, it like? No, go ahead, finish. As Sorry. a as a ma- major Hexen fan, I uh, 
I'm looking forward to playing more of it. So, I just my question was going to be hmm? working with Scarecrow on Doombringer. What's that been like for you? Oh, it has been it's been really good actually. Uh, surprise, surprise. Uh, he's been. Uh, <laughs> It's been a very constru- constructive help on the project. Pro- project, uh, least of all with uh, structuring things and uh, making uh, for some quality assurance uh, pipeline. Basically, he wrote down a document for this is what the maps should be. Uh, this is the limits, you know. Something to relate to, but you don't really have when you're just making mods. Yeah. You know? Uh, he's, uh, I mean, he's been on the show and, and I've interacted with him a lot, especially since uh, Realms Deep and everything. He's got a very different talent for analyzing games than you know the vast majority of people, or just mm-hmm. anything. It's not just games. Like he is a, an analytical talent that is not, normal for human beings Uh, he was telling me about uh, his suggestion to you to change the the weapons damage i believe from like 25 percent to 23 years something like that something that was just like slightly off and how and and when he explained it to me and when i play the game now it's like wow this that was genius i never Mm -hmm. would have thought of that but like his ability to think like that and to like innovate things in that manner is invaluable i mean i can't even imagine how it must feel on your end yeah it's uh he's been uh i mean it's been a great help really and uh it's really enjoyable to speak to as well about games in general because he has so many uh it's funny how a lot of the games we we enjoy a lot of the same things and we dislike a lot of the same game things you know yeah. But he has a lot more. Um, this is why this game doesn't work, you know. So, uh, whereas I have more like a feeling of why I don't yeah, like yeah. a game, you know. I'm the same as you. Like I, I just have like a an idea of like uh, I just don't like this, and I you know, like mm. well why? You know, like well because I don't like it that's not good enough. Like that doesn't help me fix it. The problem, whereas he can tell you exactly what the issue is. Like he can dial down to a microscopic level of this is why this is an issue or this is why this is good and explain it in a way that makes it digestible to the layman, which is me. So, I mean, that's incredibly useful. I mean, I, I would hire, if I were Fred Schreiber, I would hire him immediately. So, <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, really good to talk to him. Also, after I played the uh, game, and I I don't enjoy it. Usually, that's when I need to talk to someone about it. But if I enjoy it, I just say, "Oh, I like this game. You should try it." Uh, but if I if I don't like it, I usually need to talk to someone about it because then I'm frustrated. <laughs> uh, so I game played one. Yeah. So I played one game. I can't remember which one it was right now, but. And I was so frust- or, uh, frustra- so frustrated after playing it because uh, I wanted to like it, you know. And But at the same time, when I shit on a game, I feel guilty because I know how much work went into 
I feel the same. Uh, I, yeah. I, as a general rule, I just don't shit on people's games. I talk about things that I like. Yeah. So, so I want to talk to someone I knew probably would have a similar opinion of the game as me. Mm-hmm. But but I, I wrote to him so saying something like, okay, I really don't like this game. And then I wrote something, okay, I'm sorry for being a terrible person or something like that. And he was like, that was the most uh, uh, that was the most uh, uh, tuned down ang- tantrum I've ever heard seen or something like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so because I was like, I really don't like this game. I'm sorry, but you know, so I I, I wanted to basically just. Uh, shit all over it, but I couldn't force myself to it right quite. And uh, he he was uh, he was just supportive, uh, so he's he's a good, great guy to have around. And yeah, all the love to him. Yeah, ah, I can't find the words that I was looking for. Sorry, uh, it's okay. It's not your first should. language. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he. Nothing but uh, good opinions about uh, Scarecrow, really. He's, Who else he's a is great working guy. on this thing? Like, uh, you got Scarecrow, you got Matt. Uh, I love yeah. Matt. Big, big Matt fan. All day. Um, yeah. We have, is, uh, is there else? we have a Scarecrow, Matt. Matt is doing the sound effects, uh, doing a bang-up job. Uh, then we have Primeval making the music. Uh, he's fucking super talented. Kicking out some really great tracks uh what is he not working on right now holy he's got oh, you he's yeah got HL, this guy is he, he i believe he's working is he working with scumhead on i'm pretty something? sure he is uh yeah. because uh wherever there is music needed primeval says i'll make the soundtrack <laughs> uh, i think he might have taken he he has been slowing down with his output towards doombringer Compared to a few years ago when we were first uh, getting into it, so I think he might have a lot on his plate right now. <laughs> He's got a lot on his plate for sure. I yeah. mean, like, there's there's a few different people in this scene. Like, I don't want to talk about just like generally. We're not going to say, you know, Mick Gordon. He's out. Mm. But like, the people that are like part of this genre that are also making really incredible music for it. I mm. mean, like, Primeval is actually recently kind of come on my radar like i knew he was working on your game and you know that kind of shit but i didn't think of him as like a all right this is someone i need to really pay attention to Mm -hmm. and then you know the bridge runner stuff that apparently if Mm -hmm. i I just feel like an asshole if i'm getting this wrong but i'm pretty sure he's worked on stuff or is working on stuff with scumhead uh john i think he yeah i'm pretty sure he made the soundtracks for shrine and shrine 2 but he's like Uh. a he he's stepping up. He's definitely yeah. on, on my radar. Hex and Craft is another guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Hull Schultz yeah, and Marky Music, of course. Mar- Marky Music, all all damn day. Like we can't. Mm. He's even doing like sound design now, not just mm. music, but like he's stepping yeah, into a whole. Yeah, he's doing all of the sound and mapping. Viscera Fest, he's, right? He's like a renaissance man of retro mm. FPS at this point. Yeah, um, making Quake maps. If I were Fred Schreiber, I'd hire him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fred, hire everyone. 
Um, <laughs> well, he did. <laughs> he did hire him. <laughs> um, and then Amorpher, like I think Amorpher mm. is just for what he's like a guy who only does one thing and what he does, he does so well that it's undeniable. And it's like, you don't need it for every project, but when you need it, you know who to call. Mm. Right. Um, and the other more exciting thing for me is, uh, MK Schmidt, you know, him did paradox vector, star explorer, that kind of shit. He's got this program called anomalies, right? Which is basically a random generator almost, but you can kind of tweak it. Or fuck with it a lot and if if i were an indie developer right and i didn't have a lot of money to create things or let's say i were a you know just creating a a doom map pack or a quake map Mm. pack something like that and i need some like ambient music but i don't want to pay someone to do it if you were to just take a little bit of extra time to learn that program and then you're willing to take the audio you get from it go to audacity or something cheap like that Mm. and tweak around with it fuck with it you can come out with some really good sound and ambient music from that program. And it's like three bucks on steam. And he said multiple times, like I'm totally cool with this going out to commercial projects. Yeah. So like that kind of shit is also it, talking about soundtracks. Like Speaking if you can of, uh, creation, creative, uh, uh, juggernauts. I mean, MK Schmidt has been, I don't know. It seems to be like, just a, a machine of creating things. I mean, he's an artist. Like he's yeah. like he's not not a uh, game designer. The, like he's a fine things, artist. For, things for just real. come come from him. It seems. <laughs> yeah, he's literally like he he's been a painter and a sculptor for his entire mm-hmm. life. He's an older guy. You know, he's much. Is he older than me? Well. How old are you? Forty one. He he's up there. He's he's my mom's age, so he's like yeah. you know pushing fifty area, mm-hmm. um, which is funny because when I talk to MK, like he's I, I get I bounce back and forth because he like he usually goes by Mike, but I, I've kind of deemed mm-hmm. him MK because of that. But uh, when I talk to him, I feel like he's like on the same wavelength as me. Like if I were if I'd lived a different life and just gone mm-hmm. through different experiences, I would be him. He's so like, uh, just he's so cool. He's yeah. one of the most intellectual people I've ever gotten the chance to interact with. And I mean, like Star Explorers and Paradox Vector are both kind of rough projects, but I know that if he can find his footing, and I think mm-hmm. Star Explorers will continue to improve. Like he's going to work on that game a lot mm-hmm. to get it where he wants it to be because that's like his magnum opus. Like that was his artistic vision. I think he's going to rock the world, man. Like he's just so full of creativity, as you said. Yeah. I, I went into star explorers and looked around a bit, but I just didn't have time to submerge myself into it. Unfortunately, seems like a fantastic uh, piece of software. Uh, he's, yeah. yeah, he's on to something with that thing. It's, it's another example of like, it's not about the programming or the, visual or anything like that it's like it's so and i'm sorry that you didn't get the chance to immerse yourself in it because what's special about that game is that it is so immersive like you just mm-hmm. really i'm sure i will get to it eventually it. Yeah. but uh but you're working on your just, own game things just need to calm down <laughs> first <laughs> uh so hopefully i will get around it but uh yeah because that's something i it it uh it's certainly a lot of in, it feels so very interesting to me to 
really get get into that because also because uh, games like that are few and far between these days where you don't know yeah. everything going into it you know there's not going to be a wiki telling you exactly <laughs> how to get this thing or something like that it's, that is so true that is that is a beautiful thing about indie games is that you can't like depend on the wiki to help you you yeah. it's almost a recreation of what games were like when i was a kid and i'm sure when you were much mm. younger than me like it's like um, uh, an exploration you know it, figuring out games called explorers yeah and also to make mk's uh, benefit he's uh, an extremely charitable guy he's uh, he's been uh, an, a top dude since I'll, I met him uh, on the Realm Steep thing, yeah. he's got like a million children. <laughs> like that's the thing about him is like he has all this time. Like he he creates all these amazing things and is so per- he participates in the community so much. And I know that at the end of the day, he's got seven screaming children running around his house. Maybe they are just as wonderful as him. Yeah. They have to be. There's no way. Like with jeans like that. With <laughs> so we're actually we're closing in on like the hour and a half mark here, and yeah. I just want to get my last like real question to you, and I'll, I'll let you go because I know it's late there. No, it's fine. Uh, I'm a, I'm a night owl, and it's Sunday tomorrow. So, but anyway, I actually remembered now that I forgot to complete the who were working on the mod the game with me. Okay. Because go ahead. Uh, I want to highlight. Uh, let's see, we have a uh, Recky, of course, who mentioned before, who uh, is uh, who made the, a lot of the gameplay additions, like uh, cooperative uh, modes with health and health pools and life and stuff like that, and uh, HUD and items. And uh, then we have also Creator, who is a pretty common name in the Quake community. Uh, mm-hmm. He's uh, working on models for the game. And Renny, I think, uh, deserves... Well, Recky, uh, he's working on his own game on the side, as well as Renny. Renny is making uh, the Quake uh, game uh, uh, Ascen- The Ascension of Evil, or Vigil. Uh, which is a, actually a uh, platformer, kind of like uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Uh, if you, if anyone is interested in that, they should check it out. It's on ModDB, and he also has a YouTube channel. That's awesome, man. I'm really digging. I, I think it's mostly Scumhead's fault, but the the Castlevania, you know, whatever you want, Metroidvania mm-hmm. style within fps even lately has blown me away and i'd love the classical like super metroid's one of the best games ever made uh obviously castlevania symphony of the night like uh bloodstained was a big one here recently and then obviously scumhead with lycanthorn and lycanthorn 2 were both like wow that's jesus dude come on (laughs) So Scumhead is another one that doesn't seem doesn't seem to have a, a life outside of the making games. 
Um, I, I feel like I talk about him on every show now, but he, so he's 20 years old. He lives maybe an hour, hour mm. and a half from me down. So I'm pretty close to him. Um, but he, he, he literally has no life other, outside of game development. I mean, he's published seven, eight, nine games, some shit like that. Like in, in a few, That's since he's right. been 16, you know, uh, cause he made a bunch of like RPG maker games, like four of them. I want to say before he ever touched doom made yeah. shrine and shrine to like, he made shrine within like a week of having played doom one yeah. seriously. And then, then Lycanthorn, Lycanthorn two and vomitorium now. So and, and vomitorium is just, it, we were talking about Metroidvania type, type stuff. Like he, he's experimented with Lycanthorn and Lycanthorn two, especially. And then now he's taking what he learned and he's making essentially his dream project. Like that's like his dream to make what will become vomitorium. So I'm stoked to see what comes out of that project, man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, when I was in the twenties, uh, I mean, you didn't have too much to worry about then. So, uh, had a lot a more. Position. Had a lot more energy, I guess, but uh, I don't want to. Uh, he, he, it's impressive how much he's been made, been able to put out in such a short time. Yeah, it's incredible. Well, his parents are very supportive, right? Like, so he still lives with his folks, as far as I know, and they're just like, you know, you know, he put out his Kickstarter for six grand and he made 12 grand. Hmm. So, I mean, <laughs> like, what are his parents going to say? Like, yeah, obviously this is working out for you, man. <laughs> Just go ahead and keep doing it. Um, keep keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I got to ask you like the last kind of closing thing that I wanted to ask you, which is, um, so Doombringer feels like a game. And I know it's a first person shooter and I know you're an old school motherfucker who's like, uh, yeah. you know, like the, the gameplay is what's important, but there is clearly like a environmental story going on here. Right. So like there's, you start off and you're kind of like working your way underground and then you see the enemies, mm -hmm. how they live and everything. We've talked about that earlier. Uh, and then we have this main character who's like got a monocle and a top hat. And I don't understand what the fuck that, all that's about, but I, I want you to kind of, if you, if you are willing to tell me about the, the story of Doombringer and like what is actually going on in this world. Uh, yeah, so, uh, uh, where should I begin? Uh, so the beginning, the monocle and top hat actually came quite early in the process, you know, when, uh, the game was about to be a bit more nonsensical, you know, like just a grinding FPS with a lot of action and very little take it seriously but uh it has been uh what's what's a word uh retro uh retrofitted into working in with the story like a st the monocle is really the so you, when you press the spacope you zoom in and that's the monocle that you get uh so it's just <laughs> representation that since you can do that there should be something 
on you, you know. But the top hat is actually sort of like a crown, and uh, it has a, had a few ideas. So first, it was your crown, but now I'm more along the ways that you. I realized I was watching. Oh God, I'm I'm uh, yammering again. Uh, so. I realized how much uh, similarities actually the summer was between Doombringer and Snowpiercer. Oh, okay. Dig it. Uh, so you have this uh, bunker, you can say, who's, which is in the middle of a wasteland. So the wasteland is called Ruin, and the bunker is called Silasi uh, in this world by the people surrounding it then. Uh, so you have one people in the bunker, shielded from the sun. They have uh, things like water and stuff like that. And outside you have the peop- the Brotherhood of Ruin, who don't have water. They have plenty of sun. Um, and they may... They... Uh, bring out a champion to lead their people into the silo to reach the resources within from these people that has been terrorizing them, basically. Mm. So you have these people of haves and those of have-nots. But uh, if you pay attention, you'll notice that the people, uh, there's going to be a few more visual indicators as I managed to have them presented. Uh, the people of perceived haves don't have as much as you think, you know, like they uh, cannibalize on other people and they try to find their own escape from their own uh, prison, you know. And whereas your, uh, your clan is more protected from what what they've been up to you know like uh, losing their humanity basically so it's a, yeah. but a lot about the transhumanism involved there uh, stuff like that yeah um, it's nothing like concrete like i don't have a page by page write out of it's more like ideas and hinting at ideas to create a an idea for a narrative. And I want to introduce a bit of poetry as well to set a tone more than set a narrative, you know? Are you a poetry person? You like poems? Well, I like art, you know, in all this. I like poetry. I, I'm embarrassingly almost, but like I really, really like poetry. So... That's cool. I'm, I'm digging I, I messed around with having a bit of poetry between level sequences in a previous project, but uh, this time I figured I'd do it right. And <laughs> so I asked Scarecrow to do the writing to make it less pretentious and stupid. So I'm going to make these pointers and see if he can write up something that makes, makes something... Uh, something deeper from it. So you do, you, do you write poetry? Uh, not very often because I'm, I'm unfortunately I'm a very 
goal-oriented person mm-hmm. all the time. So I have a hard time to work. Uh, I, I create projects that involve a lot of moving pieces, so I don't have to work on the same thing all the time, but still towards the same goal, you know. And then I have a really hard time to break off from that, so I end up uh, forsaking a lot of uh, other things in my day-to-day life for focusing on this project to get it done, you know, through the door. Do you uh, have a poem that you really like? I actually do, but it's in Swedish. Uh, That's okay. Can you find it? Uh, I, I want you to close this bitch out with a poem. Now I'm like, I'm excited. Give me a sec. Uh, I'll, I'll bring it up. Uh, All my favorite poems are tra- translated from Icelandic. So. Okay, I can read it in Swedish or I can trans- try to translate it to English on the go. Which would you prefer? Uh, read it in Swedish and then translate it. Okay. I'm going to get into my poetry uh, mood here. <laughs> so this one is called Ångest, Ångest är min arvedel. And it's uh, translated to Anxiety. Anxiety is my heritage. No, no not a heritage. Uh, my uh, legacy. Uh, or a sort of combination of the part. Oh, heritage, legacy, something like that. Uh, ångest. Ångest är min arvedel. Min strupe sår. Min hjärta skrig i världen. Nu styrna löddrig sky i nattens grova hand. Nu stiga skogarna och stela höjder. Så kajt mot himlens för krympta valv. Hur hårt är, all, är allt? Hur stelnat svart och stilla. Jag famlar kring i denna dunkla rum. Jag känner klippans vassa kant mot mina fingrar. Jag river mina uppåtsträckta händer till blods mot molnens frusna trasor. Ack, mina naglar sliter jag från fingrarna. Mina händer river jag såriga ömma mot berg och mörknad skog. Mot himlens svarta järn, mot den kalla jorden. Ångest, ångest är min arvedel. Min strupesår. So that translates to anxiety. Anxiety is my legacy. My, uh, what's it called? Neck. Uh, my neck's wound. My heart uh, cry through the world. Uh, now uh, stiffens uh, smoldering sky in the night's uh, rough hand now rising the forest and stiff heights so uh, mm, withered toward the skies uh, encroached vaults how hard everything is how sh- how stiff and black and still uh, yeah it carries on like that but uh, it's a uh, it's the one that comes back into my mind uh, frequently. <laughs> when That's beautiful, man. When things are uh, a bit more rough, you know, emotional. Yeah. But I really like Edgar Allan Poe, of course, uh, it's, and uh, stuff like that. Uh, I love Poe, man. I love yeah. 
I, I really like I grew up on Edgar Allan Poe. Like, so would you? I wouldn't really consider him a uh, a poet so much as a you know like a short story writer. But yeah, I, I think so. But I guess all all words, you know, written word is all technically poetry. <laughs> I mean, Ra- Raven is yeah, a poem basically. Fair enough. But all yeah. right, I've got one for you. Hmm? All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, bonus points if you can tell me who wrote this. It's very short. I was drunk. I was too drunk at Wise Fialar's house. The best kind of feast is the one that you go home from with all your wits about you. I think I'm going to lose that bonus point. Uh <laughs> But that that didn't sound like it was English from the beginning. It is not. Uh, I can try to read it in Icelandic, but I don't think it's going to sound good. It's like "Oler ek varð varð ak frovi at ins froda fjallars livi er oler bast at apter at heimtir ver sit geth gumi." That's the original mm. Icelandic <laughs> version of it. That did not sound much like Icelandic. <laughs> I'm, I'm a terror. I'd no idea. I'm, 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 I'm very uncharitable towards you now. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I have a few. Have had a few Icelandic students, and I mean, Icelandic uh, language is so beautiful. So. I find it fantastic, but uh, the way that is from the the Hobble Mall. Hmm. Yeah, it's. I might have heard it sometime, but I can't uh, can't uh, quite recollect it now. But I just think it applies to you and me right now because we've both been drinking too much. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But the author obviously is attributed. It's attributed to Odin, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I'm so fan fucking into that shit lately. Like, uh, I don't know why. It's yeah, like, I mean, really if, like a great book of wisdom. If you're into that, I recommend a movie called uh, uh, "Korpen Flyger." It's called in Swedish. It's uh, "The Flight of the Raven." And send, send me a link. It's uh, an Icelandic film in Viking times. Uh, uh, it's uh, there's two movies and the White Viking, uh, When the Raven Flies. Yeah, 1984. I think you'd love it. I think I will too, man. Dude, this has been great, man. I've really enjoyed talking to you again. Uh, we should do it more often. I, I really yeah, can't wait for Doombringer to come out. It's been a good chat. I'm not sure uh, if it's a good uh, podcast, but I've really enjoyed talking to you, Ty. I know that uh, based on what I've published before, I think our fans will find some some goodness in this. And if they don't, you know, they can skip it and go to the next episode and fuck them, right? Yeah. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I love all of our supporters. God bless them. Uh, but you've been fantastic. This has been a really enlightening and, and good conversation for me. And that's what the show is all about, really, is what I think of it. Yeah, that's the most important. Having fun while you do it.
Justice for once again being part of the show. It was great to have him back on the show once again. Uh, if you haven't already heard it, go back and listen to our first interview. I don't remember what episode number it was, but you'll find it if you search for it on our website, wankinthekeep.com. If you like the show and you want to hear more content like this, we produce a couple of other podcasts. You can check out Doom is Dead podcast, hosted by Human Bones and Doosome from the multiplayer Doom Federation. They have made an excellent, excellent case for their needing to be a show where you just interview Doom people, because I don't already do that. I really don't. So, like, if you're just into the Doom stuff from here, you'll definitely like Doom is Dead. Also, uh, you haven't seen it already, Burning Bridges with Bridgeburner, hosted by Bridgeburner, <laughs> obviously. Uh, he's going to be also talking to all of the best people in level design uh, you know, as an expert level designer himself. Check out everything he does. Follow him on Twitch, Twitter, all that good stuff. And make sure you check out the podcast. The first two, the first one was like the New Year's Eve thing with uh, me and Spud Hunter, Devo, Major Arlene, King Dime. Uh, there's a lot of people in there. Eris Falling, Jimmy. And then... His most recent episode is just him and General Vivi, Jason Mojica of Proteus, and that is an absolute banger of a podcast. Can't wait to see what we can uh, do together as, uh, as time goes on with that podcast. So check both those out. If you want to support In The Keep, though, on our inthekeep.com, you can find our support tab. You can also find our merch tab. There are a lot of different ways that you can help out. Not going to list them all off, but just you know, consider buying a t-shirt or becoming a Patreon supporter or whatever. Speaking of our Patreon supporters, got to say thank you to them. Paul, Moose, Dots, Zach, Alexander, Brad, Red Eyes, Green Dragon, Anthony, Robert, Jack, Brandy, Fred, Lord Revan, Tones, Igrek Simon, Immorpher, and a special I love you to Brahm, Maria, Yanin, and Jeffrey. All of these people are amazing and they, uh, they give a lot to the podcast. So, hell yeah. If you're wondering, the music that you're hearing right now is, in fact, from the soundtrack to Doombringer. It is created by none other than Primeval, who also does the music for Age of Hell, a few other projects I'm sure you're aware of. Give him some love. Check out his Bandcamp page. I'm going to link you to his Twitter, and I'm sure you can find everything from there. But he's an amazing up-and-coming musician uh, who's doing a lot of good stuff. Maybe the next Andrew Holschult. Maybe the next Marky Music. Maybe just... Primeval. I don't know. But what I do know is this. I'll see you next week. Till next time, stay in the keep.